Eight. Good. Hmm. Hello. Hi. What? Just to preface this, welcome to the time bubble. The day we're recording this is the 18th of January. And a measly two Ds. New, new president's going to get inaugurated. It's Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Okay. Joe Biden. Joe, Joe, it's Joe Budden, the new president. <laughs> Joe Budden? <laughs> oh, no. Anyway. What did we do to deserve this? <laughs> I uh, All right. I thought it was tomorrow. Do they not swear Is in the president tomorrow? on a Tuesday? Just like election day is on a Tuesday? I thought it was on the twentieth, but I could be very incorrect and a terrible American citizen. Hold on, let me. I mean, we're like, looking it up. I genuinely don't know either, so I'm also a terrible American citizen. But I did vote. It's, it is Wednesday the twentieth. I was correct. So I'm at least better than some people, and so are you, because you probably voted. I have yeah, to assume, unless someone stopped mm-hmm. you from voting, which is illegal. No, I'm good. I go. I, I was able to vote. Yay. So now that will be elected Joe Button as a president. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you got inauguration day coming up, and it's going to be interesting um, for a few different reasons. One, you know, we just had an armed insurrection at our fucking Capitol building. It was sick, dude. We, we, a little over a week ago. Yeah. And uh, there's apparently a bunch of plans for different kinds of attacks. Now this inauguration day, this is a very weird. If one of those happens and we're not talking about it, it's because we're recording before election day. Just clarify. I'm sorry, inauguration, inauguration day. day. Fuck. Yeah, election day is come and gone. Damn it! I don't know my president lore. Anyway, I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't uh, impeach Trump. Because it would have been like I, I don't have a personal stake in it or anything. I just think it would have been really, really funny. And I, I wanted somebody to break the record for lowest time, like least amount of time being the president. Because I'm pretty sure like that record is William Henry Harrison, who was president for like nine days or something, because he died. Uh, yeah. So, like, if Mike Pence was able to beat that record because Trump got impeached literally just, like, a couple days before he <laughs> was set to leave office anyway, that would have been the funniest little weird thing to see in a history book of all time. And I, I it would have been neat for future generations because, like, you know, it would ensure that this piece of history would not be forgotten. And how shitty Trump was would not be forgotten, which I don't think it will be anyway. But it would be like a little, a little exclamation point at the end of the sentence was like, also he was so shitty that he got impeached two days before he was set to leave anyway. And Mike, that's why Mike Pence is in the, the history book as a president, even though he was president for like five minutes. That would have been great, but alas, I guess we're just gonna let him leave. Uh. Which I was expecting them to do anyway. Well, the impeachment procedures are still going to happen. Um, I suppose stuff could happen after the fact, but like, yeah, its impact on who is the president is gone, which is a bummer to me. <laughs> I just wanted, <laughs> I just wanted Mike Pence. 
to be in the list of presidents, but his tenure is just like 2020 to 2020. And people just look at that like 100 years from now and go like, what the fuck was up with this? <laughs> what, what, what happened here? That would have been great. But oh well. Yeah. I'm just glad that at least that little shitty part yeah. of our government's gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's fuck that guy. I don't think things are going to be immensely better under Joe Biden. No, unfortunately, it's, be this is, it's more like going back to normal, which was already bad. It didn't need to be worse. Just Trump made right. it worse. And uh, sorry to get political on our left-leaning podcast, but like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just you know, Biden's a politician. He's not like an inherently dumb person, though. Well, maybe. I mean, he's old enough to be dumb sometimes, which is scary. But we'll see. I, I'm not. I'm not worried constantly if he's in charge though whereas with trump right. i was kind of worried constantly for people i care about's well-being and also just like our country's standing as like uh, amongst all the other countries i assume we were just being laughed at by everyone which oh, is, mostly which is pretty sick you know <laughs> it's I'm sure that that's going to not have any uh, bad side effects in the years to come, I'm sure. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to add about the president? Um... No, good riddance. Go fuck off. Okay. I hope I hope a bunch of like there's there's apparently pending lawsuits coming as soon as he gets out of office. That shit's still gonna be fun to watch. Yeah. I just want to see him further melt down in real time. He's not gonna leave the news, unfortunately. Uh, oh, never. But at least he won't be on Twitter. That's good. <laughs> he won't be the news every day. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Well, he might still be for a little while. But eventually... He'll be gone. Yeah. He's not let him be gone. Well, I mean, he has to die at some point. But anyway, I, I think... Uh, I don't know. They should have took him off Twitter a long time ago. Jeez. Did irreparable yeah. damage to our country. <laughs> Just giving mm-hmm. him a platform to say whatever he wanted was, uh, wow, somehow a mistake. Who would have guessed? No. Hmm. Just like giving me a platform to say whatever I want on this podcast. Right. My gamers, that guy could say things like gamers deserve to be oppressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. Oh, that could dovetail into something I wanted to talk about later, but uh, I'll save it for the bulk of the actual podcast. Anyway, play um, theme song, question mark, I guess? 
play exactly three seconds of Derude Sandstorm and then our intro, please. Oh man, you don't even get a do 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 do. You just get a do do. Yep. All right. <laughs> My Mountain Dew. About a twelve pack of that Mountain Dew Major Melon is pretty good. Oh, that melon Mountain Dew is really good. Yeah, I bought a couple twenty ounces of it a while back. Like, right. I wanted something different to drink, and I was at, I was at the Wally World, and I saw a twelve pack of it sitting there. And I was like, "Fuck it, I bought it." Yeah, but are are you are you excited for the Riddler's Brew though? Yeah, dude. <laughs> I think that's the funniest way I've seen a leak about a movie so far in my life. Mm-hmm. It's that, like, people were like, we now know what the Riddler looks like in the Batman. And I was like, oh, cool. And it was on a fucking bottle of Mountain Dew called Mountain Dew Riddler's Brew. And I was <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> this is the leak. This is, it's like, it's, it's. No, no, there is one stupider because there was that leak of like the Mandarin vehicle from Iron Man three, and it was a scene that does not happen in Iron Man three. The Mandarin has like a drilling machine thing that he's driving after Iron Man, and that doesn't mm-hmm. that doesn't happen in that movie <laughs> at all. Uh, I don't know. Marketing is funny. Anyway, welcome to the Gen and Jub Show. I guess I don't know. Leave the Mountain Dew discussion yeah. into the podcast, please. Oh, I, I, I planned on it. Yeah, yeah that's that's right. Gen talking about Mountain Dew, and I'm Jub talking about Mountain Dew. This is now a Mountain Dew podcast. Mm. And that was it. That was the end of the episode of Mountain Dew podcast. Now, welcome to the Gen and Jub show. <laughs> should should the Mountain Dew podcast be called Mountain Dudes? But like, <laughs> yeah. But like, that's so good. Is that like? Not an appropriate name for a podcast. <laughs> That's so good. Because, like, I thought of that pun in my head, but then I thought about what it, it really means. And, and I don't... <laughs> it could mean plenty of things, okay? It could mean mounting dudes, though. That's the problem. <laughs> oh, well. I say that that's the name of the Mountain Dew sections of our podcast is Mountain Dudes... That's that's so good. <laughs> I love that. Oh my god. Today. Yeah. Now that we're outside of Mountain Dudes. Okay. Talk about Castle in the Sky. That was a great, great little movie. I, I, all right. Well, we'll we'll get into it more later, but I love this movie like a lot. I think it's fantastic, um, but we will we will get into that a little bit later in greater detail. But let you know, all know, big surprise, we really like this Miyazaki film. Yeah, if you want to just uh, have a one word review of every Miyazaki movie we watch, it's probably gonna be that's good. It's pretty good, man. That's, that's some good <laughs> shit, man. All right. So, uh... Now. What did we do? What have we done? What has happened? So, I... We were going to talk about, you know, a couple things I did. 
over this past week. I, uh, because I just haven't really been playing anything totally new, I've just been playing old stuff when we're in the early of the year video game lull. Um, I started playing Overwatch again, and I haven't touched the game in about a good almost three years. Came back to it with, with, with my brother and a couple of my friends. It's a, it's a really good game. It really is. Okay. Not sure. I'm mean, I'm going to remember exactly why I stopped playing it earlier on. I think maybe I just kind of got bored of it. But coming back to it, it feels awesome to play. All the characters are really cool. I enjoy so much about it, and uh, I think I'm gonna keep playing it for a little while. They added a bunch of fascinating new characters. My my favorite. My favorite character that they've added in my absence here is um, a character named the Wrecking Ball. <laughs> it, it, it's a it's it's a mech piloted by Hammond the Hamster. Right, I have heard of this character. And he just his one of his abilities is you literally like you know you could roll around in a ball, <laughs> and then you could also like hook yourself to something and swing yourself around like a wrecking ball. It's fantastic. And like you could also like roll around really fast at the ball, and sometimes when he passes by by you, you can hear the hamster go "hoo!" Passing by, it's so fucking funny, like a car speeding by. <laughs> Jeez, I love it. It's ridiculous. I'm glad and, that they made a character that wasn't just porn bait. I'm glad, unless you're a weirdo, I guess. But I hope you're not. <laughs> um, <laughs> like. I don't know. Are they? Are they, anybody's... are they done making characters for Overwatch now? I think because Overwatch Two is supposed to come out. This was supposedly, yeah. It got delayed. It got announced only so that people would stop talking about Hong Kong and and all that shit. Like I feel like they announced that way earlier than they wanted to. They were just trying to distract people. Um, that game's not coming out for a while. I'd give it two years, at the least. Yeah, it's, it's... They'll lean on the success of Overwatch. They'll probably put out a enhanced version for PS5 and Xbox, whatever the Xbox is called. I'll just call mm-hmm. it Xbox, if, that, if that's what they want me to do, apparently. I, I, I mm. guess it's what they want you to do. <laughs> that's, what I, that's how I feel about it. I just... I don't care anymore. I feel like I fuck it up too often when I'm talking about the new Xbox. Maybe I'll just call it the new Xbox like it's a Nintendo product. Oh, no. The new Xbox. Like the new Pokemon Snap. Now they were done with those fucking naming conventions and then they did it again. Is that the name of that? It's called New Pokemon Snap. That's... I hate that. Okay. Well, I guess it's not the old one. If they only make two... Then that works. There's the old Pokemon Snap and the new Pokemon Snap. You gotta assume eventually they'll make another one. Especially if it's like, from what I'm going to expect, it's probably going to sell banger numbers because it's a Pokemon game. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's good or not, really. All of those sell really well, despite everything that happens, Uh you know, around them. 
It doesn't matter. Well, Detective Pikachu game might not have sold well, but the movie did, so I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Uh, but yeah, Overwatch is great. Um, if if you haven't played it and you like like shooter, you like a fun multiplayer game to play with your friends, it's uh it's only like twenty bucks, and I think it's definitely worth twenty dollars. Uh, playing anything again? What's that? Have you been you been playing anything new? Uh, no. I've been playing <laughs> Grand Theft Auto Five, and I'm I'm attempting to not just 100% it, but do everything I want to do in it, which is a long list. Of, yeah, of I'm shit. sure. It's a big game. So I've been playing that for a, a while. Uh, I would like to talk about it today because I want to talk about um, one of my favorite side quests in video game history. Uh, did you ever do the Epsilon side quest? Okay. Yeah. You did? Yeah. So... I remember this fucking thing. You did it all the way through because it has several points where I assume normal people would stop paying attention to it. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's... Yeah, like I know how it ends and everything. Okay. So let me explain this to, to to the unaware, and I'll I'll kind of dovetail it into why I think it is kind of brilliant, but in a very roundabout way uh, that tests the player's patience. Um, oh, multiple times, yeah. multiple times. So Epsilon is an organization in GTA Five that is a let's say religious organization. It's kind of thought of to be more of a cult in the game world, except by the people that are in it, who are, like, fully indoctrinated. And it's a very, very, uh, well, because it's Grand Theft Auto, it's very unsubtle satire of, you know, Scientology. It's the Church of Scientology, is what Epsilon is, basically, you know. You're looking for alien shit. And and you're uh, it's it's entirely populated. It, its members are like all celebrities, all famous, all rich, uh, and it appears to be nefarious in nature, even though outwardly they say it's you know great and self fulfilling and all this stuff. And you know, much like Scientology. The lore of it looks like complete nonsense to the people that aren't knee-deep in it already. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, of the three characters you play as in GTA V, all of them can go on the Epsilon website in the game's uh, laptops or phones. But the only one that'll actually fill out the survey to join Epsilon is Michael, which I think makes sense because... Of the three characters, he is the richest one, uh, and their candidates are entirely rich and or famous people, because they want you to give them money, and a lot of it. Uh, This makes Michael a good candidate for these missions, because he is a 
middle-aged rich white man uh, who has a bit of an identity crisis throughout the game. So I chose to do these uh, missions uh, in the story after Michael's family leaves him because I felt like that is the perfect spot to drop this side quest. You you can't do it while he's like a little more fulfilled when his family comes back to him like towards the end of the game. Uh, You got to do it while he's a broken man uh, and doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. So he joins a cult. Maybe unwillingly. So, it's already weird that to start this side quest, you have to do it via the internet in the game. Uh, Because not a lot of stuff works that way in Grand Theft Auto V. Usually you'd have to go to a marker on the map or something. That marker doesn't appear until you fill out a personality quiz on the in-game internet. Uh, now you've done step one of many steps for the Epsilon mission strand. So now a marker appears on the map. The internet said, look for the red truck. Uh, you go to the red truck, you pull out a book, you recite an Epsilon quotation, and then two members of the cult meet you and then knock you out and dump you in your underwear in the middle of the desert. Uh, (laughs) but they send you an email and say hey donate $500 to Epsilon at that point you would maybe assume that you shouldn't do that but this is a video game so you can just go ahead and see how far this goes so you give them $500 you get another Epsilon mission marker on your map you go to it uh You meet a character. What is her name? I got a wiki pulled up here just so I don't forget any of the steps. Her name's Marnie. Uh, I'm fairly certain she's a character that was in the series earlier. Like, she's in GTA 4. I think you do, like, a brief mission where, like, Nico runs into her and helps her, like, leave Liberty City because she's, like... You know, I I think she's, like, a prostitute and a drug addict, and, like, there's, like, the suggestion that, like, you know, you're better than this, you should go fix your life. But then GTA is dark and fucked up sometimes, so instead of fixing her life, she joins Epsilon and becomes this. Uh, So she kind of just tells Michael a bit about the program and says, if you want to know more, you have to donate $5,000. Which is even more. Uh, just It just keeps going. If you donate that, you meet her again, and then she says, alright, Epsilon needs cars. Find these cars. There's a list of five. And deliver them to this garage. Yeah. And without a guide, this is kind of impossible because these are like some yeah. of the most uh, expensive cars in the game. Thankfully, they do. Yeah, have, I don't look it up. They do have spawn locations in the world. You just have to go to them. Uh. But finding them normally is pretty difficult. You would have to just look this up. 
Yeah. Uh, Definitely. Like, yeah, as soon as they said that, I was like, fuck this shit, and I looked it up. <laughs> right. You do that, and they're like, all right, cool, thank you. And then you get another thing to go to. And then you get a mission that shows you how truly crazy they are. Because they give you this little tracker device. It's like a PK meter from, for like like or like the Ghostbusters thing that they carry around to like see where the ghosts are at. <laughs> um, you're using it to scan devices that Epsilon says are uh, alien in nature. Uh, so like you scan like a TV, the TV makes it goes off, and they're like, "Is that the alien object, Michael?" And he's like, "I don't fucking know." And they're like, well, if you doubt, then you do, then it is not true. And he's like, okay. Uh, so <laughs> this mission ends really funnily, where uh, it, the the meter goes off for an old discarded boot, and Michael says, all right, this is it. And they're like, are you sure it's it? And he's like, I'm a hundred ten percent sure this is fucking it, <laughs> and gives them the boot just to like end the mission. Uh, but then they tell him he has to donate $10,000 to unlock the next part. You do that, and you meet Marnie again. She tells you to buy the Epsilon uniform, which looks terrible. It's, it's like a powder blue Sergeant Pepper's outfit. Yeah. Uh, it, it is atrocious looking. Uh, um, that costs $25,000 and then they, uh, are available in your closet, but that's not enough. Um, you have to wear these for the rest of the Epsilon missions, of course, but you also have to wear them for 10 consecutive days. So this time around, I, I decided to just leave Michael in the clothes and do some side quests as other characters and head back to it later. But Michael right. on his own accord as an AI will change out of the clothes. Uh, possibly because the AI is smarter than the player themselves. But anyway, uh, you, you just, uh, you have to just leave them on and either play and do some collectible hunting or just go ahead and save the game repeatedly, which causes your character to sleep for, uh, I think for Michael, it's like less than the other characters. So it takes even longer. I think each character has a different amount of time. They sleep, uh, and just keep going until it's been 10 days, which is a lot of saving. It's a very boring process. Mm -hmm. So then you get another mission. You meet a celebrity. You deliver a plane. That's pretty easy. Then you get another mission. And this is the worst part of the whole thing. Uh, you're in the desert. They tell you that you have almost reached, you know, your full potential. Uh at this point, Michael has just given up completely, and uh, Epsilon says the phrase Kiflom a lot for some reason. Yep. So at this point, Michael is just saying Kiflom to every question they ask him. He's, they're just like, you know, are you ready, Michael? And he's just like, Kiflom. And he just says, like because he, he doesn't know what else to say, because everything is like half-truths, and like, you know, if you're not certain, then you don't know, but if you don't know, then you do know. And it's like, just, it like 
loops back in itself, their logic. Yeah. So he just says Kiflom to everything now. But anyway, they tell him he has to walk five miles through the desert, and you, the player, have to actually do this. Uh, this is a terrible part of this side quest that is extremely annoying. It is meant to be, but there's a lot of things that are annoying about it that I don't even know if Rockstar intended to be annoying. Um, for one thing, the what constitutes the area that is the desert is kind of a small area that you, if you exit it, you have to start the process over again. So you can't just hit, hold forward on the stick and tap X, because eventually you're going to have to turn around to make sure that you stay in the desert area. So you can't just go in one direction, because you'll eventually leave the area, and if you ran two miles to get out of that area, those two miles are gone, and you're going to have to start yep. all over again with the process of five miles. Um, thankfully, it tracks this very well for you, because every tenth of a mile, it tells you that you have traveled that much, and then Michael will say a voice line, which is usually like Kiflom, and that's it. <laughs> um, so you just have to, like, you just have to do it. You, you can't, like, do anything else. You can't just, like, get a get a wrench and place it on the X button <laughs> or, and, or anything like that, because A, you need to make sure you stay in the desert. B, you need to keep an eye out for mountain lions because those exist in Grand Theft Auto V. And if they sure kill do. you, you spawn at the hospital, which is outside of the desert area, and you have to start all over again. Uh, you need to walk around with a pistol at the ready to kill a mountain lion if it decides to fuck with you. You also have to keep an eye out for a sp specific random event that fucked me when I was at three miles ran. Uh, I don't know why I didn't remember this one from my previous time playing the game, but uh, there is an abandoned car with the horn going off, and if you approach it to see what happened and what needs to be done, a man shows up out of nowhere with a stun gun and shocks you. Your character passes out, then wakes up in their underwear on the train tracks as a train is approaching. And you have to get out of the way and not die. But, um, yeah. So that happened to me three miles in. Uh, <laughs> I should not have approached the man at all. I should not have. I should have just been like, that's a side quest. I'm doing this thing. <laughs> I just fuck right. that shit. But I figured, like, hey, maybe I can do this, you know, while I'm doing this. It was a big mistake. Don't do that. Blue dots, ignore them. Uh, and, uh, so, yeah, because it spawns you in your underwear, you, you're out of the clothes, and you need to be in the Epsilon clothes for this to work. So, progress reverted. Had to do it all over again. I waited a day to, oh, to do God. that, because I didn't immediately Yeah, well, yeah, once that happens, uh, <laughs> you're just like, yeah, fuck this shit, I'm out for the day. Right, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you one bit for that shit. But then you can get to the final mission after doing that. You uh, have to give uh, him... It's just detracted from your value once the mission starts. You're already doing the mission, but I think it's like $250,000. Yeah. It's, it's oh, a wait, lot. Wait, 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 quick thing. Yeah. 
about the about the desert walk. Uh huh. I love that. Like when you're like halfway through it, Michael starts going crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, like, yeah. Randomly, he'll he'll start just like saying Kiflob over and over again, mm. being fucking weird shit. So Kiflob, Kiflob, <laughs> like 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 out of breath too, because he's running through the yeah. fucking desert. Uh, it was fucking great. So you finally meet the founder of Epsilonism. Uh, this character is named Chris Formage. <laughs> uh, I, I anyway. So, he tasks you with delivering the apocalypse funds to a helicopter. Uh, and he, uh, he promises a reward. Now, so far in the Epsilon quest, you have not really been rewarded anything. If you go through with the mission as it is laid out to you, you will receive a rusty tractor as your reward for this entire side quest. And that is it. Uh, I recommend not doing that because this is when the Epsilon side quest goes from being a worthless amount of time wasting to quite possibly the best side quest in the game because you rob them. Uh... In whatever way you decide, kill the escort that is with you and run away or kill everyone else at the location you're supposed to deliver it to. That'll stop people from chasing you. And you will escape with the money that's in the car, and it is like $2 million, which is a good amount of money uh, for GTA V. And it's it's good for uh, getting Michael's bank account up at an earlier point in the game before you do those uh, missions for Lester as Franklin that alter the stock market. So you can get take that now large amount of money that Michael has and double and even triple it later when you take those stock tips into consideration and manipulate the market on purpose. One of the things that GTA 5 does that is a really cool thing that is not in GTA Online, because God forbid anyone had a fucking pot to piss in in GTA Online, we couldn't sell you shark cards if you could manipulate the stock market. What the fuck? But anyway, <laughs> um, it's great. I love this side quest. It's my favorite in maybe all of video games simply because it has the illusion of being worthless and it's kind of meta in that sense like it felt like Rockstar kind of making fun of side quests in other games a little bit at least at the time uh, just kind of like it's just walk here and do this thing for this person. You don't care about this person. You're just doing it because the game tells you to. So let's take it to the limit. Like, how far will you go doing what the game tells you to do before you don't? And, like, right. there's some dialogue hints that Michael would would steal the money, but if you do what the game tells you to do, you don't get that money. And you just get the yeah, rusty get tractor. <laughs> yeah. Get garbage. So, it's kind of teaching the player to take their own agency into consideration. And yeah. steal the shit at the end of the side quest. Which, 
is kind of genius in my opinion because you have to go through so much garbage before it gives you the option to do that. Uh, it, it's like you have to like deal with so much bullshit and stuff that you don't have any say in the matter in. But you have to be aware to like take control when the game gives you that choice without really telling you about it. It's right. kind of fascinating to me that, the, that this side quest exists at all. Because surely in development, somebody said nobody's going to want to do this. Because at some point, they're going to not care about it anymore. But wisely, right. they decided that the reward, if you take control of the situation, should be significant. And it makes it worth sticking through, I think. Uh, it's it's something that makes me love this game. And just another reminder of why GTA Online sucks, because there ain't nothing like this in GTA Online. GTA Online is this with minimal rewards and just go do this for this person, go do this for this person, go do this, and you get like a dollar, and it's not fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, time to deliver the weed that you made. It took several hours for it to generate. You have to deliver it as a post worker and drive this slow post worker truck all the way to Los Santos. You're in the top of the map though. So, uh, drive it all the way there and deliver these packages. Hope you have enough time. Hope you don't flip the mail truck. You lose all the money. Uh, bye. And I'm like, yeah. So that feels like something that this side quest would make you do. As a joke. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it, it's just another reminder of why base game good. Uh, online game not. Right. I, I kind of just, even though they're on the same game disc or, or like file, you know. It's feel, it feels like two completely different games. It's two separate games. Yeah. In terms of fun you can have, and in terms of the way they function. Like, I've got a lot of money in GTA V now. But it feels like I earned it through fun, creative ways, like the Epsilon mission. In, in online, I've grinded to get where I'm at, just so I can buy a submarine, so I can do this the dumb mission that just came out that I do want to try, but I've heard is disappointing. But I'll repeat, I'll, I'll report back about that in the coming weeks, I'm sure. Oh yeah, for sure we'll hear about it again. Anyway, you got any other games or movies or things? I got one other thing I'd like to talk about real quick. It's a small thing, but... Um, I started uh, messing around with Pokemon randomizers. Oh uh, yeah. This past week or so, um, I've been having a lot of fun with it. There's this there's this really neat program. It's like a universal Pokemon randomizer program. 
Or if you plug in your totally legal acquired ROMs. Yes. Those. Into it. <laughs> um, you can like cha- randomize all kinds of settings in, in these Pokemon games. I'm going to do it with Soul Silver. Instead of so you get a random starter, all the wild Pokemon are random, all the Pokemon trainers have are random. You can set kind of rules behind them too. Then you make trainers like all type based. And wild Pokemon are random too, right? Right. So like you could run into a like a Zapdos on Route One. Is that kind of what we got going? Yeah, here? I ran into a Latios on Route One. Sick. All right. That was fun. But then I also been playing it with Nugslock rules. Which is uh, right makes it infinitely more interesting. So for those of you who don't know, Nuzlocke rules is a specific rule set people use to play Pokemon to just kind of get themselves a challenge mode. The basic rules are this: when you first enter a route, the first Pokemon you see is the only Pokemon you can catch in that route. Uh, if it if you know you run away or it faints or whatever, you don't get to catch any other Pokemon on that route. And then. If your Pokemon falls in battle, it's gone. Treat it, treat like, it as from dead. Your box. Yeah. Yeah. Remember for your box, or I have a, I have a box called Heaven <laughs> that I put them all in. You put the sky background on it. Just send them to Heaven. Send them all to Heaven. All right. All good Pokies go to Heaven, buddy. <laughs> and you also have to name them. You have to give them every Pokemon you catch a nickname. Which at first you're like. That's fucking weird, but weirdly gives you a level of emotional attachment to these Pokemon. Hmm. So that's like, why that's a rule a, for Nuzlocke. I got it. Okay. Yeah. You get like a Totodile, you name him Dave, and you carry him for like three gyms. Yeah, and then he dies, and you're like, no, Dave! Right, All right exactly. I got you. Okay. That's the idea. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's great. I was wondering um, why that was such a prominent rule for Nuzlocke. Yep, that's why. You get, it's really, really fun that way. I don't know. I like it a lot. I've been having fun with it. It's been very interesting and weird sometimes. It's one time I had a I had a starter set that was awful, and I chose a fully evolved water Pokemon as my starter, thinking that'd be a good idea. And then the only move it knew was Whirlpool, which... Uh, Oops. Does like 15 damage. Yeah. Which even like other early moves do like at least 25. Like tackle does like 25 base damage. So like this is like a weak ass move. Only has 15 uses. I can't damage anything with this shit. I immediately die. Immediately. I had no chance. Rip. So you know, the fact of it being random, shit like that happens sometimes. It was funny. I enjoy it though. I've been doing like quite a few up on my fifth attempt now, trying to beat it and see if I can beat the game on one of these runs. I'm gonna try. Okay. We'll all report back if I if I do. I'll let you all know what the squad was and tell a little story about it. I kind of want to do this at some point. I feel like it'd be fun. It's it's very easy to set up. I could help you with it. Okay. Very easy. I'd love to do Heart Gold or Soul Silver because I've actually never played that. I've played them, I guess, like, I played Crystal, but I never played the remake of that gen. Um, Probably the best Pokemon games. 
Like, even still now. Okay. Um, just because there's a lot... There's a lot of really good quality of life features that are in HeartGold and SoulSilver that just are not in the new games at all. Huh, okay. It's like, a bunch of like weird features that they just gave up on after that. Um, the game uh, gets you in really fast. Does it take you really long for you to start? They kind of choose laws, get the gems. to like introduce new features with every Pokemon game, but it's always dumb shit that no one really cares about. They never like bring over like stuff that like the hardcore players want to come back. I don't even want like anything too crazy. Like you know, a lot of people usually want like easy release to EV train or whatever. Yeah. Shit like that. I don't, I don't care about either. I want like some quality of life features. I want you know a button I can press to make it so I don't have to hold B to run. I want the old ass feature L equals A to come back in any other Pokemon game. Yeah, that's fine. No, it doesn't exist. Being able to turn L into your A button to rebind it like that. It's fucking great, because you could play Pokemon with one hand. Yeah. Because you really only true. need the, the D-pad and A yeah. to play Pokemon. Especially if you could permanently run. Just shit like that. It's so weird that, like, there's little things like that that are, like, gotta be super easy to do, just so stripped. Right. In these other games. Yeah. But yeah, I'm having fun with that. I'll probably report back later. If I ever finish a run. Okay. Well, good luck to you. I don't know. Uh, what's your current like team looking like? You got any idea offhand? Well, I just started a new run. My starter was Articuno. Oh, that's that's pretty good. Jeez. Um, my, my naming... Uh, I made a little scheme for my names this time. I'm making them very literal. So his name is Chill Bird. Okay. And then I caught a Dust Talks, and I just named him Moth. That that is what he is, yeah. No, like really early on, I haven't even fought the first gym yet, but we'll see how it goes. Okay, well Articuno is pretty based for a starter, like God. Uh, yeah, dude. It's just, Professor Oak's just like, hey, would you like this fucking legendary thing that only one of them exists? Apparently, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here, seven year old, have a fucking. Death bird. Have a god bird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you get like Dialga. Have literal god. Here you go, buddy. <laughs> is is God in that game? I, well, that was Gen Four. Gen 4. Yeah, th- those games are Gen Four. Okay. Uh, what's the god name? Shit. Arceus. 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 Yeah. Okay, well, good luck, and I may try that in the future. It sh- Thanks, should be man. able to run on my my sh- oh, yes. shit. I don't have Nintendo anything DS. advanced. It's, oh, okay, well that's yeah, that's true. It's, it's a Nintendo DS. It's not very intensive. You should be fine. Okay. It's probably less graphically intensive than like Among Us, and you but you were playing <laughs> that on your laptop, so <laughs> it's weird to think of something being less graphically intense than Among Us. Uh. <laughs> Alright. That's also very well optimized, though. You know, it's right. on phones. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I, I will mention before we go into the main topic of conversation is uh, 
I won't like talk about it. Talk about it yet. Um, One division started, and it's pretty good so far. It it, it yeah. goes a lot more in on the concept than I was anticipating, and that's why I like it so far. Uh, they released the first two episodes, and I I did not interpret the fact that the fact that they are like stuck or maybe willingly stuck. We're not sure yet because it wants to lead you in with the mystery. It, it buries the lead, you know. Uh, they're basically stuck in sitcom hell. <laughs> Wanda and Vision. Uh, the first episode is like an episode of I Love Lucy. The second episode is like an episode of Bewitched. And I think like it's going to keep going through the years of sitcoms. So like, I'm fairly certain next week's episode, they're going to do just one a week from now on, uh, is going to be Brady Bunch. Cause it'll be seventies and it's going to go on from there. And like, I don't know how far they go. I don't know if we get like a Seinfeld episode or anything. I, I don't know what, what it, they'll probably not do Seinfeld cause they'll probably keep it like a family sitcom. So I guess like for that era it'd be more like I don't know Roseanne <laughs> or Home Improvement or something. I don't know. Like it's not like a one to one parody. I'm just saying it's like an episode of that. It's kind of just a weird, creepy parody of television tropes and like sitcom tropes in general. It reminds me a lot of Pleasantville so far. Uh, which is not what I thought an MCU property was going to do right. in any way. I, I, I kind of thought that like that was going to be the basic premise, but the cracking in of reality was going to happen earlier. Right. That stuff does happen, and it's creepy and interesting, and I'm really drawn in to the mystery of this thing and wondering what's going on. But for the most part, those first two episodes are about the sitcom plot. <laughs> and I'm kind of intrigued by how committed they are to making this that. Uh, <laughs> it's like... And, and it's, it's, it's funny because it's not funny, which is a specific realm of writing that is... More advanced than I thought the MCU was maybe even capable of. Because uh, it's making fun of these ancient sitcoms and how they make jokes. And it's really funny because they're making those kinds of jokes. But they're doing them with like just a hint of like... I, I wouldn't say outright derision, but like... You can tell there's something there where, like, this is well-written and they understand what they're parodying so well. Um, yeah. It's kind of a fascinating little show, and I'm curious to see where it goes. Uh, I recommend it if you still have the Disney Plus. Uh, I don't yeah, know if you I'm should just wait till it's all out or not, but 
I'm going to kind of enjoy watching it as it goes through the ages, because I think that's what's going to happen. Like, week to week. Which is certain, like, uh... They'd release two episodes, and they should do one weekly from now I on? I believe so. But, uh... Interesting. I, I think it'll be cool to, like, watch it that way, because people are going to have their theories about what's going on that evolve as the show progresses. There's already, like, a lot of hints and a lot of weird Easter eggs. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to get too into it, but, like, for example, there's, like, a commercial in both of the episodes. Like, it goes to a commercial break, and it shows you one commercial, but it's, like, a fake commercial. And, like, the one uh-huh. the one was for Stark brand toaster. that like Like, it's a mystical, like, magic toaster that toasts anything i guess but it was stark brand specifically and it's just kind of like like little glimpses of like maybe reality getting through because everything's really isolated from it because the second commercial in the second episode was even deeper because it was a it was a watch that was uh strucker brand and that's the name of the bad guy from the beginning of Age of Ultron, who was like a Hydra agent who like created yeah. Wanda and her, her brother. Yeah. And it had like the little Hydra logo on it on the watch. And it's like there's no way they would advertise on television in that era in the MCU something with a Nazi imagery on it because Hydra was like a known thing. Uh so it's like, you know, there's like something off here, <laughs> you know, it's it's not normal in any way. And I don't know. I'm kind of surprised. I I was expecting this one to be at least more interesting than just like, you know, yeah, like some of the shows they announced because they announced so many. Like, I, I don't know. I, I at least appreciate that this is like something very different for the MCU as a whole. And it's cool to feel, like, excited about something in that universe again, actually. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good endorsement. I should check it out. Because it's, it's good to hear, because... God damn, is that shit getting all exhausting? <laughs> this is not like anything else they've ever done, and I bet you there's a lot of people that will hate it because of that. People are going to be like, sure. where the fuck is the superhero action when it's a sitcom parody for an hour? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. For the first two episodes combined is an hour. They're they're shorter. It's fine. Uh, curious to see where that goes. Anyway. Would you like to talk about the Miyazaki? Yeah. Actually, uh, could you give me one second? I really have to pee. Go pee. Coffee's going through me. We'll be right back. That does happen when you drink a liquid. Lol. Justin's peeing. What an idiot. Who pees? Stupid. Gonna check my messages while Justin does things.
don't know if Justin will be back by the time I uh, am done with this joke. It's not even a joke, it's just an observation. I, uh, I own all these universal Blu-rays of their old monster sets, and they're great. I love those old Universal Monster movies. They're classics. The back of every DVD is the same. They just switch... They just copy-paste, like, the monster out and replace it with the relevant monster. Like, like I'm looking at the Mummy and the Wolfman set, and it's like, these landmark motion pictures define the iconic look of the blank. So, for the Wolfman set, it's Tragic Monster. For the Mummy set, it's Ancient Egyptian Monster. And continue to inspire countless remakes and adaptations that strengthen the legend of the blank to this day. Like, they wrote it so that it could, like, go for every single one, which, that's lazy. That's lazy, man. Just write an individual thing about the mummy. You can do it. I believe in you. It really suggests to me they didn't care about the product they were making. But, but I don't know. At least I got some old... Black and white, dumbass movies on Blu-ray. That's that's a fun thing to have. I don't know any other way to own uh, the Mummy's Ghost on Blu-ray. So, you know, if you really got to see the Mummy's Ghost, do that. You talk about the Mummy's Ghost? I'm not talking about anything, Justin. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you can listen back yeah, to enough. that. I was just sitting here, minding yeah. my own business, just waiting for somebody to pee. I don't know. I'm sorry, I had a pee-pee. I had a little pee-pee tinkle. <laughs> Ew. Don't, des- don't describe it like that ever again. You gotta do a little tiddlywink, you know what I mean? Ugh. Anyway. Castle in the Sky. Yeah, dude. It' pretty good. Yeah, this is the so, so this is the first film that took the Studio Ghibli moniker, right? This is when they actually started out. Yes, it is. Uh, this is the first produced Studio Ghibli film. Um, now Nausicaa is considered under that umbrella. Uh, yeah, Castle of Cagliostro. It's not actually, even though it is a Miyazaki movie and. Uh, Isao Takahata produced it, so like it's pretty close. But because that's like part of another franchise, it's not considered Studio Ghibli. Yeah, Masaka because it was owned by Miyazaki the whole time basically is. So after the success of that movie in '84, Miyazaki and Takahata form Studio Ghibli, and they this is their first released film in 1986. Uh. Only a couple years after that. Yeah, okay, cool. That's... What a good way to start off, man. Yeah, I I suppose. Um, Uh, I mean, you could just, you know... You say start off, but this is his third movie. And you can tell that he's learned a lot. Yeah, Uh, definitely. In many ways, this feels like a combination of his first two movies into one movie. It has the kind of like... 
mil- military intrigue of Nausicaa, but it yeah. has the kind of like low key adventure of Castle of Cagliostro. It, it kind of has yeah. both elements going on at the same time. And I love that. <laughs> I love that a lot. This is a great, fun adventure film. I, I don't really know any other way to describe it as other than an adventure film. Yeah, that's really what it is. You got, like, you got, like, your main character, Potser, I think even early on talking about how, like, that he's going on an adventure with this and he loves it. He's having a great time. Yeah. And I, I love uh, the world here is very interesting. Um, I love like how you know the, the the whole like almost first half of this movie center around centers around this like this big mining town that Patsu here lives in. Yeah. It's it's really really interesting. Uh, just for like a little kind of like plot overview I'm not gonna go crazy like we usually do in the get a job show because this over overblown long but you got you got a girl on airship start to film mm-hmm. seems like a bunch of people are after her trying to escape from these people she falls out of this airship yeah Credits roll. That's just pretty fucking cool. <laughs> I like the credits. I, like, I like the I like the credit sequence. It's really yeah, nice. the, like the, the music in this movie is fucking insanely good. Those are some yeah. beautiful pianos, man. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh huh. It's it's fucking great. Um. And that 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 amazing music just like it's great all throughout the movie there's excellent themes used with the music too yeah same composer certain uh, things are going Joe on. Hisashi from Nausicaa yep. he will do all the Ghibli films well Miyazaki's Ghibli films at least but yeah I love the, I love the pirates theme when they're flying around yeah it's good shit um but yeah so figure out that uh this girl's neck. This what, what all these people are after is this girl's necklace, and it has to do with Laputa, the castle in the sky. Mm-hmm. Oh, movie title, right? Which is something that Patsu wants to get to as well, because his father found Laputa a long time ago, and nobody believed him. He just had one photo of it, and everybody was like, "That's fake. It's just a legend or whatever." Uh, and yeah. they don't really elaborate on this, but both characters are orphans, and they don't really elaborate on like what happened to their parents. It's just like you know, yeah. I guess pretty standard for a kid's adventure film is that your parents have to be fucking dead. Uh, I don't know why that's we're afraid to go on an adventure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess to be allowed to go on the adventure, you need to not have parental yeah. supervision. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so he uh, he wants to prove his father right, and also have the adventure of, you know, flying up there and finding it. Uh, coincidentally, mm-hmm. he runs into this girl who is like, basically, as they reveal to you later, descended from the royalty that lived on Laputa. Yeah. One of the, uh, yeah, she's the, she's the true heir. Yeah. To the throne. So multiple groups want, her necklace thing because they know that it leads to Laputa, which is could lead to riches and or power. 
So you have the pirates yep. group, which are led by a fucking fantastic character, <laughs> uh, the the old woman, uh, Captain Dola, who mm-hmm. uh, is a boss, <laughs> and it's uh, like she is girl boss, crantank, like very like you know, <laughs> looks like she should just be a cranky old woman, but she like is involved in the action so much in this movie, like it's it's very comical. You could tell that they knew what they were doing yeah. with that. They just wanted it to be really funny. Yeah, she's a badass, dude. So it's her and, like, I guess her children. They don't elaborate yeah, they're all her on sons. that very much, but it's kind of weird that she has, like, that many adult sons. <laughs> There's, like, six There's of them. There's a lot. Um, only three of them... Uh, are in my cast list here, but I'll get to them in a bit uh, when we talk about the dub. The other group is yeah. the military itself, which is headed by uh, a not military guy, but like an agency guy. And like, I don't really know when this movie is supposed to take place, but he gives me kind of like an FBI agent or like a CIA agent kind of vibe. Yeah. Although he has his own definitely. agenda entirely. Uh, his name is Colonel Muska. No, not Chad Muska. Also, they say Muska, but it, it's spelled the same way. <laughs> yeah. I just found it funny that I don't think I've ever heard Muska in anything besides Tony Hawk in this. That's the only uh, parallel we have. But it is there, and therefore they take place in the same universe. Tony Hawk games and Castle in the Sky are in the same universe. Definitive. (laughs) (laughs) Just this Chad Muska just tried to acquire this full power so he could get that sweet that sweet ass. He's jealous of Tony doing the nine hundreds. He needs the power of Laputa to perfect his skateboarding craft. Okay. And become a god and get his, yes, and get his very expensive car that's louder than a Metallica concert. Uh, <laughs> Tony <laughs> Those fucking cutscenes in Tony Hawk's Underground have aged so poorly, but in a way that makes it even more entertaining than it was in, in initially. I think so. Yeah, I agree. And they show his, like, based car and it's like a fucking Honda Civic from 05 or something. Like, it's great. I, I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, so you have your two your two factions here. One of the one of the fun parts of the movie is after one of the climactic moments of the film, and uh, you know it seems like your protagonist is lost. Yeah. Um, he joins these pirates. Yeah, that's the. Uh, who joins up with the pirates? Basically, like halfway switch of the film is like the pirates are part of your protagonist's team for the end of this movie, which is a big switch from how they're portrayed early on in the movie. Uh, yeah, they're like the villains. Yeah, and, and they do not care about property damage whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> None. Not at all. Um, they're, they're, they're very... I mean, they're always portrayed as pirates. Like they're, they're always in this quest for the money the whole time. It's just that yeah. they also care about, you know the well-being of these kids as they get to know them, which is, it's kind of sweet. Uh, 
except for one thing that I'll talk about later that isn't. But for, for the most part, uh, their relationship with these pirates is wholesome, uh, which you wouldn't think it would be from how they're portrayed early in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh get them running away and everything like running away from these pirates as uh as they get discovered and everything she's hiding out yeah yeah Sheeta, this is the girl's name she's she's like hiding hiding with potsu trying to get away from these pirates they get discovered and then you get a very very long fun chase sequence god this chase sequence they, is they're great. one point one point they get on a train um, but right before that, they, they like, they get the village and, uh, you could tell this like a small, tightly knit community. They all help Patsu out. Um, Patsu's boss, who's like, a, was like a guy who like, like a mechanic guy, mm-hmm. uh, starts fighting the pirates who's fighting one pirate. And it's really, I funny. love that scene. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're, they just, they just both show that they're mega buff dudes. And they like rip their they shirt. They start punching each yeah. other. Yeah. Yeah, they just rip their shirts with their pecs, and then they start punching each other. It's pretty great. Love that uh, shit. This scene has a cameo, or at least I, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's this man. But like when they're fighting each other, just the two of them, but then somebody else joins the fray that's just a townsperson and just clobbers one of them over the head when yeah. they're not looking. And I forget what he says, but it's very very clear that it is the voice actor of Bender, John DiMaggio. (laughs) (laughs) I would recognize his voice anywhere. I mean, he he voices a lot of characters. He's Bender from Futurama. He's Jake from Adventure Time. But you could pick out his voice, you know, because he has a very distinct, like, voice. And he does his kind of, like he does this voice that he does for characters like this here, but it's mm-hmm. just for one line. And I'm like, it's fucking Bender. I heard it. You can't tell me otherwise. I, I don't know. John DiMaggio is great. Uh, the voice yeah. cast in general is great for this dub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just a trend with like all of these movies. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. They're, uh, at the time, especially when these movies were coming out in America, um, they're pretty much the best dubs available. Uh, yeah, probably. The good anime like, dub was is a, is a very modern thing. Uh, yeah, I want to say that the dub uh, for this that we heard on HBO Max came out in two thousand three. So. You, you wouldn't think that's that long ago, but as far as anime dubs concerned, that's like during the era where they were shit still. So yeah, that's that was when, well, that's when like you're getting a lot of a lot more anime coming over here, like on TV and everything. Yeah, and uh, the dubs still weren't great yet for sure. Dubs didn't start getting good until like. God, probably like 2013, 2014. <laughs> like, consistently it's good. It's weird how recent like, it is, honestly. Yeah. It's why there's such because a debate, anime was you such know? A... Because, like, there's such a... They, there's such a... Like... Lack of quality for many dubs that people who... 
watch them in any way except subbed get like derided sometimes. Yeah. In that internet debate, sub or dub. Mm-hmm. Which like, yeah, back then like sub was the was was like the way to go because the dubs were always so trash. Right, but you might not always have that option. Like, how else are you gonna watch Dragon Ball? Which had right. a good dub, actually, so that's maybe not the best example, but, like, you know, when, when your only avenue of watching anime back then is Toonami, you don't have a choice. You right. have dub, and it's maybe not always the best dub. Maybe your introduction to One Piece is the four kids dub. I'm sorry if so, but for <laughs> many people it was. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, but like it's that's just a product of anime. Like back then, being an incredibly niche, and then you know it turned into this phenomenon in America. Yeah. During that time, like it's anime is pretty much very mainstream now, which is like absolutely was not the case back then, even in like even in the two thousands. Right. So what else happens in this story? We might as well get through that before we get to anything else. Yeah, so, uh... You know, to get one of my, my favorite little parts of the movie here, during this chase, uh... Our kids fall, and they get saved by this crystal. Which activates its power. Yeah, they can uh, float. That's how she survived getting yeah. thrown out of a ship, or falling off of a ship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she just crystal, uh, activates when she's falling to make her float. Mm. This, this this cute little scene where they float down together into the abyss. <laughs> into a mine. They go yeah. down. Yep. Where you meet a really interesting old man. <laughs> yeah, uh, Uncle Palm. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Gives a, gives a little bit of a little bit of exposition dump. A little bit. I mean, like he's Just he's your wise old man that can tell you about shit, so that like he can set right. the quest off. Basically, yeah. You need a character like yeah. that, I suppose. Um. I liked his character. He was cool. He said he talks to rocks. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the rocks talk to him. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. He, like, turns off the lights, and then they get this really cool scene where the rocks start illuminating themselves, and says they're imbued with, all these rocks have a little bit of Ethereum in them. And apparently the old, the old citizens of Laputa used to be able to mine Ethereum and use it, and that's what uh, Sheeta's necklace is made okay. of. Okay. So, so that's kind of tells you what the generation of the power is for this place. Immediately upon exiting the mine, they are arrested, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, immediately. Um, which is one of my favorite shots in the movie, is they're just talking, and then, like, a plane approaches them from the background. It's very, uh, very, uh, North by Northwest, the Alfred Hitchcock film. <laughs> the, the shot with the plane coming... <laughs> Yeah, um, so they're really arrested good. by Chad Muska, and um, you know he kind of just like makes a deal with her that he won't, I guess, kill Patsu if he she listens does what he says. Yeah, he'll let, let him go free. Yeah, so he does and gives him like you know three dollars <laughs> or whatever. I don't know what the exchange rate of gold coins is in this uh, universe or time period. 
but yeah, it, this is like the lowest point for your characters, I suppose. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, this kid who comes from a really tiny mining town is probably a lot of money. Right. Well, I mean, I, I love this moment where he's going home and he almost throws the money away. But he doesn't, but like, because he's like because he's poor. Yeah, it's such a like soul crushing little great piece of wordless storytelling. Because yeah. you know, if anyone else was writing it, it would be just like you know, as a show of defiance, he throws away the money. But like, I think it's so much more fascinating to have him not throw away the money, because oh yeah, very much. It so. would be stupid to do so because he is poor. Uh, like that's really cool actually <laughs> and he does he does that all without a single word of dialogue and you understand everything yeah but that's the thing that Miyazaki is just truly excellent at like I talked about it with Nausicaa last week where it's like it's just this excellent wordless storytelling where like you just <laughs> through characters actions and what the environment tells you you can learn a whole lot about the backstory so I say like these movies aren't filled with like there there's like a single exposition dump scene in this film and like even then, it's not a lot. A lot of it's still just having cute moments with an old man in a fucking in, in a mine. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah. He, he has, it's it's he like he has a way to deliver exposition in a creative way, at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. But it always keeps so it always keeps the pacing of uh, Miyazaki's films great all the way through. Is that he's able to use really really effectively use nonverbal and environmental storytelling to keep the backstory involved. Right. Really, really excellent that way. I love it. So, um, this is where Patsu joins the pirates, basically, because they've just like they're they're just in his house, and they tie him up because they're looking for uh, Sheeta as well, because mm-hmm. they want Damani. Uh, and he aligns with them to go rescue her, and they do. But before that, we get quite possibly my favorite bit of the entire movie, which is the bit with the robot. Uh, yeah, that shit's fucking dope. I love the robot designs and everything it does. But I guess that requires a little bit of setup. What's the robot? Yeah, so they reveal the military reveals that they found this robot that dropped out of the sky. They 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 are convinced it's from Laputa. Mm-hmm from this ancient civilization and they have it just stored in the basement and well she is just trapped in this tower she recalls a memory where her grandmother told her a spell to use whenever she's in trouble and she utters the words and her crystal light lights up and it activates this dead robot yeah now this robot's missing a couple like parts of its limbs right so like it can't move properly which makes the scene where it starts moving like even more creepy. It's really fucking creepy. Um, because this thing's just like stumbling around and falling over, and then it just starts shooting death lasers at all these military people. Yeah, it's <laughs> sick. This is such a well animated <laughs> piece of work too. It's yeah, incredible. Like, and thing like this, this animation like especially for the year that it like i said it before with nosk too but like especially for the year it came out like the, the animation is like amazing it holds up well now and no cg shit either like Man, this is quite possibly that robot would be an entirely cg creation in an anime movie now 
even. Like, not yeah. that CG isn't impressive in its own right, but the fact that they don't resort to any shortcuts here, or they couldn't, uh, is kind of incredible. Um, I love the design of the robots, too. Uh, how they like you know and, and and there's like a lot of like weird shit like it like it grows wings out of itself to rock it up to um Sheeta. Mm-hmm. and it like you know is it, it's kind of sad too when like they kill the thing it is because it it kind of just seems to be protecting her <coughs> that's its whole that's its whole role it's yeah. like because she's she's the one who like summoned mm-hmm. it Using a using a spell to protect the idea is that like that spell summons the robot to protect her, so it's doing its job. Right. And uh, but anyway, um, the military being the awful people that they are, just kill the robot. Although I guess it did kill some of them uh, beforehand. It killed all probably a whole lot of them. It like burned that fucking fortress down, basically. Uh, I mean, this will be a little more relevant later in the movie when they actually get to Laputa, but, like, this movie has a big kill count, actually. There's no, like, on-screen yeah. gore or anything. Like, this is a children's film, basically, but there's a lot of people die towards the end of this movie. <laughs> and also in this well, sequence here. Mostly military people, so fuck them. It's like nameless stormtroopers for all intents and purposes, but, like... It's really fascinating. Like, Miyazaki, like kind of constantly goes back and forth between like completely non-dark like innocent films and then just like fucking death and destruction yeah <laughs> he like pans back and forth in the same movie doing that kind of shit a lot he's not afraid to use those kind of dark themes. true if you think like even in the kids film i think is fine i don't think there's anything wrong with those kind no, of it's themes. fine it's just like it's something that other creators would maybe shy away from like you know Instead of the military yeah. people falling to their death, maybe you just show them fall down and be okay and run away uh, in, like, other kids' films. <laughs> but here, it's like, yeah. I don't know, they kind of just fell and died, probably. Like, there's no way. <laughs> like, no, they, just got, they got launched, like, God, thousands of feet in the sky. They're in the clouds. Yeah, well, when they're like, they you just know, got dropped. I guess we'll just talk about it. Like when all the robots are coming out and they're just like it's just fucking chaos and the like everything is happening and like just thousands of military officers just bite it because there's nowhere else for them to fall except thousands of feet through the sky and dead. Like there's no way. Like they're they're they're, yeah, they they're so dead, dude. <laughs> like yeah. If someone, uh, you know, I doubt someone has a kill count for Castle in the Sky, but I will look it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please let me know. I'm I'm very interested. So yeah, so it's probably hard to count. You don't know how many military people were there, but I'm sure it's gonna be like a minimum. Also, I love when. Uh, yeah, like from like the moment that like they just give Potsu the money and he leaves, just like his complete like shock, like the nonverbal, the nonverbal communication of the character's feelings. Yeah, where he just like, he, like like he puts the money in his hand, then he just stares blankly, like somebody just like somebody just like hit him with a stun gun. He's just like fucked. Mm. It's so sad. 
but uh yeah it's really interesting no luck on the death no, on the, on the no death count. unfortunately it took me to like fandom articles about muska himself uh just because he's responsible for the death of people i guess but like i don't know not finding anything at least for kill count uh no big deal anyway it's a lot it's probably more than his other movies if i had to guess if i had to harbor a guess Although I bet a lot of people die in Princess Mononoke now that I'm thinking about it. A lot of people <laughs> die in that movie. <laughs> a lot of dead people in that well, film. Well, I mean, there's wars and things, you know? Like, this stuff yeah. happens. There's an actual, mm. Yeah, there's, like, war going I on. I guess if you like, take yeah, into people... consideration the entirety of World War II, uh, The Wind Rises has a pretty high death count. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pro- yeah, probably. <laughs> but, I mean, as far as on-screen... Uh, this is probably pretty high in his filmography. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But most of them are played for, like, not for laughs, but played, you know, not gratuitously. Like, falling through the air as your death would suck really bad, but it's not a gory, gratuitous death. It's just like yeah. you have a shot of them falling off the edge, and you never see them again. That's, you know, yeah. Ex- existential. Yeah. But anyway, uh, whatever. They rescue Sheeta. They join the pirates. We get some character development and bonding with all of these pirates, uh, including uh, Dola's husband, I think, who is yeah, Dr. Robotnik. Not really, but it looks like Yeah, him. it looks literally <laughs> like Dr. Robotnik, dude. It's like a, That's the first thing I thought when he popped up out of the fucking floorboards. I was, like, <laughs> I was half expecting him to pop out and go, Pingus! But, like, nah. Yep, that, that yep. What, wasn't what happened. <laughs> uh, but he's bit. just, like, you know, he's, like, works on the engine and shit, and, like, you know, Shida and Patsu, like, immediately, like, do things better than like have been happening already on this ship. Yeah. Like like Patsu's able to help repair stuff better. And Sheeta is able to make like a multi course meal for all the pirates. I don't know how she's able to just do that. It's not explained very well. Well she, well, she lived on she lived on her own for a long I time guess so. apparently. She yeah. probably learned how to cook for herself, you know? Right, but like would that mean that she would know how to cook for like an army like not really i don't know all right all, all right cooking lesson all right. um to cook for a lot of people mm-hmm. you take a recipe that you have yeah and you put a lot more in it and more time and like wow that's it. what <laughs> <laughs> so like instead of just like, making she- one box of macaroni and cheese i make like eight boxes of macaroni and cheese yeah dude isn't that crazy Bruh. life hack <laughs> I mean big crazy life hacks like, yeah but like I don't know I don't even know if there was food in that kitchen that she went in when she went in there it was just a mess yeah god it was disgusting I like how like outwardly heartless Captain Dola is but like really inside she's a bit of a softy but like she's harsh mm-hmm. to like her kids and like a- appears to be uh, shitty and is just like you know you guys are gonna work you're not gonna 
you know, there's no time. I hate people being late and all this stuff. And but like, really, she yeah. like, you know, listens in on Sheeta's conversation with Patsu and like, yeah, has a smile on her face while listening to them talk. And yeah, I love this character she, development they... because it's a character that like, if you stopped watching this movie forty minutes in, you'd think was bad. And it's impressive to just do the complete turnaround on that. Yeah. In in not a lot of it's time. It's really cool. It, it, like, yeah. No. It's, it takes, like, literally about, like, 20, 20 minutes. But, um... <clears throat> the full arc. Well, how's the MacGuffin work here? So, like... She dropped the crystal thing. Her necklace, when, yeah. but it showed well, what, it what showed the way to Lapita, so she just like remembers it. But then Muska has it, and he's just literally following it. So it leads them to the castle in the sky, which they have to get to through a storm, and like the winds going both ways, and that's like a trippy part of the movie where it shows the wind going in one direction and the other. Uh, I don't know how you successfully animate that and convey that to the audience, but they did. Um, <laughs> it's kind of trippy. And uh, they they get to the castle in the sky uh, through yep. great. It's a really cool sequence where they where they get on a kite and they like have to ride it for a storm. Yeah, through great difficulty because they, they get blown around everywhere and the ship gets fucked. Mm-hmm. And of course, yep, the bad the, guy follows them there, so well, they course. can't enjoy the castle in the sky for long. Although they do meet that robot, which is pretty cool. The last one. Yeah, left, that's a beautiful yeah, scene. He just leaves flowers for the uh, the the tomb, I guess, it, like that grave or yeah. whatever. And he has like all these animal friends. Some of which are things from Nausicaa that, like her little like Pokemon, <laughs> she has with her yeah. the whole movie, is just a species in Laputa. Uh, I'm sure he Miyazaki just meant this as like a little nod, and nothing else. Yeah, because well, yeah, there's no way these could take place in the same universe, given Nausicaa takes place thousands of years in a post-apocalyptic future. And this doesn't really. I would right. imagine this is some kind of alternate steampunk 1800s, uh, or so. Mm-hmm. I mean, or maybe early 1900s. There's there's a car, you know, and and airships and stuff. I remember the people in the mining town were like, "Whoa, an automobile! I've never seen one of those," or something like that. So like, right. they exist, but it's early for cars. Yeah. And probably right. like early 1900s, late 1800s, if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds But about it's all right. steampunky and shit, which is cool. Uh, now, the architecture of the Castle in the Sky itself is really different, though, as far as the technology of this film goes. It's more like ancient historical find looking. Like right. uh, a mixture yeah. of. Babylonian and Indian and Egyptian architecture from what I right. researched and it's it's pretty cool looking lots of shit to look at very pretty designs as always with Miyazaki he likes his castles that man 
And he likes designing them, <laughs> I suppose. Yes, yeah. he does. He he loves his he loves his castles and he loves his he loves his uh, flying. And so this are your two Miyazaki baits. Well, days. so literally, this is a flying castle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so of so course. that's right up his alley. Uh, but in our plot, I suppose, like the things wrap up here pretty quickly. Well, maybe not quickly, but it's paced well. Like, this movie doesn't feel like yeah. it's two hours long, because it's very rapid. Yeah. Um, Muska arrives, ties up the pirates, he's gonna probably kill all of them, and he kind of, yep. like... Chad Muska initiates this great floating castle takeover. Yeah, uh, what a great skateboard trick. He, uh... <laughs> he adds his own agenda, because he is also, it's revealed, a descendant of Laputa, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But he has the complete opposite opinion of it as Sheeta. Uh, Sheeta kind of has the realization that, like, because of, like, the weapons they created on Laputa, it was abandoned on purpose by her ancestors right. because no one should have that power. But uh, Chad Muska feels differently. <laughs> <laughs> he wants like, that power. I want them nukes and Laputa, man, because it, it seems to be like a bit of a Death Star. It has like a big death yeah. laser at the bottom, and like it sets off what looks like a nuclear explosion in the ocean, hopefully. Because uh, he he just immediately betrays his, his government here in the military and doesn't give a shit because he has his own agenda, and he like goes into the throne room or the control room or whatever it is. This control the controls room, yeah. are guarded, or the, no, the crystal that powers everything is guarded by like a lot of roots, kind of like suggesting that it's guarding itself from people who would come to fuck with it, I guess. Right. Uh, the design of like just the nature taking over in areas that aren't used anymore is really cool. By the way. Yeah, definitely. It looks super fascinating. Oh, the design of it. Everything's like rooted over, then like Pots who spends like most of the rest of this film just climbing on roots. Yeah, and almost falling to his death constantly. Uh geez, because he you know yeah. he, he goes and saves the pirates. Uh they quite hilariously I think steal the government ship, the, the military ship, and they take off while they're boarding. So a lot of people die. <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. lot of people just fall and die as they're trying to board this ship over these like ladder bridges that just collapse and they fall to their death. Fuck them. A cab. That's what I always say. Uh, <laughs> get them. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, just this basically concludes with, uh, you know, they set up some kind of destruction spell earlier in the film. Uh, did you yeah. know that in a movie that is good, you set up things and then pay them off? Did you know that? It's never been done before. <laughs> it's never been done before. See, sometimes you have a movie that doesn't do that, and it's terrible. Uh, I haven't talked about Wonder Woman 84 yet, but uh, I think that's a good example of a movie that doesn't do that and should have. Uh, 
I'm gonna spoil something from Wonder Woman '84 for you. I don't get, give a shit because it's just, bad. I do not uh, care. I don't. I'm not gonna you watch. You know how it. she has an invisible jet? All right. Yeah. So like that's in the movie, and the way they set it up is they get in a normal jet, and they find her on the radar immediately. Her and uh, her boyfriend who is dead but is alive now. Uh, long story. Uh, so, <laughs> like, they, uh, they're like, well, we need to be invisible for for the them not to see us on the radar and not shoot at us and kill us. So, out of nowhere, she recounts a story about how her she was trying to perfect an ancient Amazonian thing where you could turn shit invisible... Uh, and she just like says that she only did it once on a coffee cup and she can't find that coffee cup, but now she does it with this jet just because, and turns the jet invisible into the invisible jet from, you know, the Wonder Woman comics. Uh, this is not set up in any way. The setup and the payoff are in the same scene. That is not how you write things. <laughs> like you just yeah, you what can't the just fuck? say oh, I, I, I could turn this invisible, and then it does. Like it's like it's like when kids are playing, and it's like I don't I don't fall in the lava and lose because I had I, I I had a grappling hook, and that gets me out of any situation. It's like you cheated. You can't just do that. <laughs> like. Uh, you gain nothing. Wisely, this movie avoids having the big thing at the end of the movie get pulled out of the characters' asses because they literally just talk about the destruction spell an hour before this happens. So that when they yeah. do the destruction spell later and start to blow up everything on Laputa and ruin Chad Muska's day... Uh, <laughs> it makes sense and feels a little more earned than just, you know, I can just do this now. Right. And I mean, right. you know, it's not necessarily something that should be praised because it's how you write a movie normally. But I do think Miyazaki does these elements well where other movies flounder a bit <laughs> like your Wonder Woman 84s. Anyway... That's all I have to say about Wonder Woman 84. I rank it very low <laughs> in terms of uh, comic book movies. Uh, I did like enough. Pedro Pascal in it, though. Anyway, fuck that movie. <laughs> I don't know why that just came into my head of like an example of how not to do this. And this is an example of how to do this. Yeah, it very much is. It's that that part's written how you're supposed to write these kind of they things. They blow up everything, you know? and Chad Muska drops his glasses, and he's like, "Jinkies, I can't see without my glasses," and he dies. That is not he what dies happens. alone and blind. <laughs> no, I, I, he the, gets like exploded the destruction in his spell, face, right? The, yeah. Yeah, no, the destruction spell literally blinds him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got you. Because the thing exploded in his face. That like, actually blinded him. I just thought it was funny to describe that way. Anyway. Ooh, jinkies, my jinkies. glasses. I can't see anything without my glasses. <laughs> no, he's like, no, he's literally blinded, which is a pretty rough way to go. Uh, blind and everything is collapsing around you. 
Mm-hmm. But fuck him. He's a dick. Uh, right. Miyazaki often has a level of grayness to his villains. Like, like Nausicaa was a good example of that, where, like, a lot of the, what you would call villains actually had very mixed morals and were not outright evil. Chad yeah. Muska here, though. Uh, pure kind of just pure evil. Uh, backhands and literally punches Sheeta a couple times here before he bites mm-hmm. it. It, it. That's a good way to make the audience not like the character, and therefore, when he does die, no care. Good, yeah. good job. That's what you're supposed to do with a villain sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then we get, you know, it depends on how you want to tell the right. story. And I, I think it's, I think it's always healthy to have a good balance. Yes. You do want to have like, <clears throat> it is, you know, makes sense to have characters that are truly evil. You, sure. you, you always talk about the fucking, like the, like the, like the, like the D and D alignment shit. It's real, fam. It's a good way to tell a story. Yeah. In some ways, this man is lawful evil, I suppose, because he feels like this is the purpose of Laputa. But, uh... Yeah. He's he's going to any lengths to get it, and fuck him in general. Right. But anyway, our characters live because Emerald thing helped them live. Just like... The roots saved them. Yeah, well, they were holding the... uh, the gem as well so yeah it's set up pretty well that like that did it as well because that was again teased throughout the film set up payoff and uh they link up with the pirates and they have a big laugh because the pirates got some gold before everything went down (laughs) and uh got to escape with their treasure so it worked out for them in the end uh and they have a big laugh, and uh, I think they drop Patsu and Sheeta off. I think they're going to go see her homeland. That's at least what they suggest earlier in the movie when they discuss things. And uh, mm-hmm. they can just go have, like, you know, uh, normal lives that aren't, like, about exploding death robots and uh, living with uh, creepy pirates. Because uh, I guess I should talk about the one scene in the movie I really hate. And I think yeah. you know which one I mean. I absolutely know which one you mean because I hate uh, it too. So when Sheeta's on the pirate ship, uh, Dola's sons come, I guess, to court her. Uh, and they they're not like out... They're not, like, rapists or anything. They kind of just say, I'll do anything for you, and it's played off, like, comedy, where they just, like, all end up helping her cook the dinner for them. But I can't Mm -hmm. help but feel like it's it's just too creepy for me to excuse it. Because she is not portrayed as a teenager... She is portrayed as, like, ten. Uh, and so is Patsu. So, and 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 Dola's sons are portrayed as, like, grown-ass grown men. men. So, 
It's really yeah. creepy when the bearded muscle man shows up at the door with a flower and says, I love you. I I don't like it. No, I'm not a not fan. Not a fan of any of that at all. They could have had this scene... Like, if this scene was excised from the movie entirely, I would feel a lot more comfortable with these pirates... But, I mean, Dola is cool. Yeah. I like Dola a lot. But these adult pirates, like her sons, I I am now creeped out by for all time after this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I wish it was easy to ignore. I guess we could say that Japan is different. Japan's just built different. And and maybe the 80s were built different too. But uh certainly now this raises a lot of red flags and makes mm-hmm. me feel uncomfortable. Other than that, this movie's perfect. There's that one thing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know, man. I'd fucking love this film. Tell us a little bit about the cast. Sure, okay. So, um, to, uh, well, let me tell you this first. Uh, the English dub for this that we watched is the Walt Disney one that came out in 2003. But yeah. there was one produced right. earlier in 1989 by Streamline Pictures. That's the same company who handled the dub for. Castle of Cagliostro, which was a good dub, but had some like, you know, they called him the wolf instead of Lupin and, and stuff like that. So yeah. this yeah. dub was considered passable, but nothing fantastic, and it's usually overlooked entirely in favor of the Walt Disney dub, which I guess makes sense. Um, now this dub here that we listened to was recorded in 1998, and it was planned to release in 1999, but its release was delayed, uh, possibly due to a perceived underperformance from Princess Mononoke's dub that Disney did. So it was delayed until 2003, which I think explains a little bit about some of the cast. Uh, yeah. Because you got uh, James Vanderbeek as Potsu who at the time was in Dawson's Creek and shit. And like, you know, still a little old. Like they, they, Miyazaki likes to cast older people as kids, or at least like the Disney team doing these dubs. I don't know about the actual Japanese voice cast, but it, it, uh, it, it somewhat works. And sometimes it doesn't. That would be my only critique of this dub would be uh, maybe not even so much James Vanderbeek as Patsu, but definitely Anna Paquin as Sheeta. Yeah, that's Anna yeah. Paquin yeah. Uh, from X-Men <laughs> yeah, and I True know. Blood. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I just think that like she sounds a little too adult in some scenes and also a little too flat with the line delivery when she's yeah. delivering she's, more expository dialogue. 
she's probably the worst dubbed character in the film. Yeah, I think so. Which sucks because she has a lot of dialogue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when she just makes like little noises and like laughs, it's fine. But when she like goes on about her past or like the kingdom that she's from and like sounds like like she sounds like a, like a Phantom Menace character. Do you know what I mean? Where like, 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 she sounds like Queen Amidala, like delivering exposition, where it's just flatly delivered uh, British speak. <laughs> do you know? I don't know. Do you kind of understand what I mean? I, I'm struggling yeah. to put it to words, but it's kind of just. It doesn't sound enthusiastic in any way. It's just kind right. of fact of the matter, and like, I, I don't think it should be delivered like that but she's the only like real weak link because everything else is like really clearly great uh cloris leachman as dola is fucking fantastic yeah it's so good i love her fucking cranky old woman voice uh she's of course from like you know uh, i guess her most famous movie would be the last picture show but i remember her for young Frankenstein <laughs> where she plays uh, Frau Blücher horse Winnie. Uh, <laughs> but we also got the, the man himself, Mark Hamill as Chad Muska. Uh, <laughs> and he's great as a villain, but you already knew that. And because his voice is so familiar as another villain to me, sometimes it blends together a little too much. I wouldn't really say this as a criticism because his Joker voice is great and hearing it gives me joy, but this is supposed to be a different character. And sometimes he kind of slips into that Joker a little bit, especially towards the end of the movie where he's laughing maniacally because he's so evil He's yeah. just doing Joker shit. But, like, it's fine. I I don't know. Uh, Mark Hamill's great, no matter what, usually. Um, mm-hmm. The general character, who is uh, fucked over by Colonel Muska quite a few times in this movie, I recognized his voice. It's a great voice. Uh, that was Jim Cummings, who... Uh, I, I guess is most famous as the modern voice of Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, and also Pete, uh, the, the big uh, bully man, the Wario of the Mickey Mouse universe, if you will. Uh, <laughs> if that if that makes sense, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. Whatever, Pete. You know, he's the famous <laughs> Kingdom Hearts character, Pete. <laughs> Yeah, dude. <laughs> anyway, um, we also had uh, Richard Dysart from L.A. Law as Uncle Palm, and uh, I got a couple of the sons here. We got Mike McShane, Mandy Patinkin, who uh, I love, he, especially in The Princess Bride, where he's uh, Indigo Montoya. And uh, of all fucking people, Andy Dick is is one of the sons. Yeah, that Andy Dick. And that's all I'll say about that. That's the dub cast. Pretty good performances all <laughs> around. Um, I yeah, guess with so. the exception of Anna Paquin in some areas. 
even then she's not yeah, terrible. Yeah, it's it's nothing Akira tier. You know, it's a quality dub. You could easily listen to this with the dub and have a good time. Good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed the dub quite a lot, but then that's gonna be the case with like all of these movies, probably. Just because like the dubs, we'll be mainly pretty much all watching the Disney dubs. Well, yeah, because that's what yeah, yeah. man, are they good? That's what's on HBO Max, and that's what I'll watch. Uh, let me give you some trivia before we head to our ranking here. Okay. Uh, so Castle in the Sky is the film's title in America and some other regions of the world. But the original title for the Japanese film was Laputa colon Castle in the Sky. Now, this title was altered to remove Laputa entirely. And this is because... In some regions, it looks like not Laputa, but La Space Puta, which is, uh, I, you know, it, it translates roughly to the horror, uh, which would have been, I guess, an unfortunate title for a family-friendly adventure. Uh, glad that it's not called that, I guess, although... I'm also glad that they didn't, like, change the name of the place from the original text. It's it's Laputa, no matter what. It's just not in the title of the movie. Um, a, a lot of the elements of this plot were kind of taken from something that I've never seen before, uh, which was Miyazaki's anime series Future Boy Conan from 1978, which I had never heard of before now. And I'm curious to what the fuck that is. Uh, but it's like a 20-something episode anime that he directed. Um, but there's also, like, clear inspiration from, like, Gulliver's Travels, which also features a Laputa, which is also a flying island. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I also found it interesting that uh, Miyazaki researched a Welsh mining village for this movie. He went there... Uh, in like 84 I believe and he went he returned in 86 to I guess research it more fully for this project um in his own words uh quote I was in Wales just after the miners strike I really admired the way the miners unions fought to the very end for their jobs and communities and I wanted to reflect the strength of those communities in my film I admired those men I admired the way they battled to save their way of life just as the coal miners in Japan did Many people of my generation see the miners as a symbol, a dying breed of fighting men. Now they are gone. Uh, <laughs> um, it's cool that he uh, decided to like kind of fully realize a mining town for the early part of this movie. Uh, it feels yeah. alive. It's it's a cool little world. Oh, definitely. Uh, I love I love every little thing about that town. It's so cool. It's so like lively and i love like how you know it shows your simple beginnings and everything like that through just showing everybody like going through their daily lives there yeah and the job that he has and everything like that getting out there playing his uh tooting his horn every morning <laughs> right yeah you know playing the theme of the film yeah but also uh cool the most uh probably significant in terms of general inspiration 
that this like that this movie had was probably like the design of the technology in the world being steampunk that really gave mm-hmm. rise and popularity to steampunk in anime, manga, video games, and beyond. Uh, there's several great works of fiction that owe much of their inspiration to this film, including uh, mm-hmm. not, not to name everything, because there's a lot of stuff that borrow from this movie. Full Metal Alchemist, uh, Bioshock Infinite, which like is really obvious to <laughs> me now that I think about it, and Final yeah. Fantasy as a whole, just as a whole, all of it, <laughs> which also takes stuff from like Nausicaa and like, you know, like Miyazaki's films are heavily, heavily sources of inspiration for other creators, just because, you know, Castle in the Sky was a very famous work. Um, it was a critical and commercial success. It grossed 15.5 million against a 3.3 million or 500 million yen budget. Uh, it's got a Rotten Tomatoes score of 96%, which I think is the highest so far for a Miyazaki movie. I don't know if that'll be topped or not. Uh, I guess all we got left to do is decide where we would put it in our personal rankings. Right now we have Castle of Cagliostro mm-hmm. as the best and Nasca and the Valley of the Wind second. I think it's this movie. What's that? It's got to be Castle of the Sky, right? Yeah, I'm thinking this is number one, right? Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's got to be... I, I, I enjoyed this movie so much more than the other two. Like, Lupin's great. Both those movies are great, but I think this is, like, just... Kind of like the progression of Miyazaki, like you were talking about earlier, how like this is like <clears throat> kind of taking like the best parts of both of those films and migrating them together in one like cohesive story. I think is yeah. Great. I was gonna reiterate that um, it, it's it's yeah. yeah. The the characters are awesome. I love all the world building, the ships, everything. And this movie's like really really well designed with a couple little goofy hiccups, but. I feel like uh, it makes up for it tenfold. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I I don't know if it'll... It's not going to stay on top of this list. Spoiler alert. No. But it's pretty boy, fucking boy, solid. Boy, Wim is going to top this list. Bruh, probably. <laughs> I like that movie a lot. I have seen that one, but Mononoke is really fucking good. But we have That's a lot just... more to get to before that. Uh, what oh, is yeah. the next one, actually? I need to look that up real quick. Give me one second. Because I actually want to know what we are watching next week. Uh, I actually don't remember, is it? I have an idea. I actually know like really well the order of these films. Alright. I'm excited. It's my neighbor, Totoro. Yeah. Next week. Oh shit! Hell yeah, dude. Uh, just drive off the rest of the order for me here. Well, the rest here of the entire quick. order. Okay, so we so we did we did yeah. Castle of Cagliostro, Nazca of the Valley of the Wind, and Castle in the Sky. Next week will be My Neighbor yes. Totoro. Then it will be Kiki's Delivery Service. Uh, hell then yeah. it'll be Porco Rosso, which I've never seen. I'm very excited to see that. Hell uh, yeah. Then. 
It will be Princess Mononoke. It howls? Oh, the Princess Mononoke then howls, No, then right? Spirited Away then howls. Oh, Moving okay. Castle. I thought Spirited Away was after for some reason. After howls Then Ponyo, and then The Wind Rises, <laughs> and eventually we'll do his probably final film, How Do You Live? But it is not out yet. Yeah. I thought Wind Rises is final film, because <laughs> that's what... That's what Miyazaki said, but he's back. Yeah, he lied. Uh, <laughs> Another rump. Uh, Another go I at it. I hope that it is... You know, I don't just hope that it's good, because I think it's almost an assurity that How Do You Live will be good. I hope it is worth him coming out of retirement to make one last film for, is what I would say. Yeah. Because The Wind Rises it's... is such a good capper on his career as we will discuss several weeks from now, that it would almost be kind of a shame to not end it on that note. But I think it would take something important for him to come back. So I hope How Do You Live is a fantastic little movie. Yeah, me too. I'm excited for it. But anyway... As as you have to be when a new Miyazaki film's coming out. Yes, yes. For now, we're doing My Neighbor Totoro next week, which I have seen. Um, I haven't seen all of Miyazaki's movies, but I have seen this one. And yeah, it's a great little movie. I don't know if I'll say it's the best, but I think there's a good shot that I will because this movie's fucking great. It's so, God, it's so just whimsical and magical. I love that film. I think it's the closest thing to a kid's movie he has, probably. Yeah, definitely. Um, Oh, Ponyo's pretty close, too. I haven't seen Ponyo, I guess. Yeah, Ponyo actually probably is a little... It, it, it's pretty much, like, as far as, like, the amount of, like, kids stuff that's in it, like, it, like focused on kids mm-hmm. that it is, I'd say it's on par with Totoro in that area. Okay. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting, but, yeah, I can't wait to watch that movie. It's so good. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I guess, uh, I guess we'll talk to you all next time. On the Get the Job the Show. Again, the Job the Show. Until uh, till the I guess we'll see you all on the other side when we have a new president and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Call back to the beginning I of the episode. I, for one, welcome our new president, Totoro. Uh, <laughs> I, too, welcome our new president, Chad Muska. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh, I don't want Chad Musk to be president. Pulls up in a Secret Service van. It's louder than a metallic concert in here. <laughs> oh, man. Just giving people skateboards. Yo, kid, Merry Christmas. As as the president. But <laughs> the president yeah, has to go Let's to go. skateboarding demos <laughs> to show off his <laughs> presidential skills. Mesco 2024. Let's go, baby. I mean, it couldn't be worse than what we've already had. I'd vote for Chad Muska. Yeah, I know we made fun of him a lot here, but he's not actually Colonel Muska. They're two different people. Yeah. Chad Muska probably has right. better morals than Donald Trump, if I had to hazard a guess. I, I would assume so. I hope so. Vote for Chad <laughs> Muska 2024. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> anyway. Peace, everyone.